Homeopathy for Health in Africa is a non-profit organization working to help some of the world's most vulnerable citizens. They are a 100% donor-funded grassroots organization that creates on-the-ground sustainable healthcare programs through homeopathic treatment and training. I personally only donate to organizations where I know the money will go directly to the people who need it most instead of getting gobbled up in advertising and administration. So I am a proud sponsor of Homeopathy for Health in Africa and I can be rest assured that my $22 monthly contribution will buy 10 prepared homeopathic remedies or pay for one of the locals to organize an outreach clinic. I love that such a small amount keeps homeopathy alive and helps so many people. Change comes from action, not thought. So if you're somebody who wants to make a difference for the future of homeopathy, donate now by visiting www.homeopathyforhealthinafrica.org. That's homeopathyforhealthinafrica.org. And in case you're wondering, this advert is sponsored by me. So not a cent has been spent on advertising, which means more money can go to the people who need it most. In today's episode, I had the huge privilege of interviewing Dr. Farouk Master, who is a true homeopathic living legend of our time. He has been practicing homeopathy for over four decades, written dozens and dozens of books, lectured all over the world and received so many awards and accolades that we would need to do a whole separate episode just to list them all off. He was responsible for introducing homeopathy into mainstream hospitals in India over 30 years ago, and he's the founder of the Homeopathic Health Center, which he set up in 1984, and where he has over 20 homeopaths working extremely long hours to help thousands of patients return to better health. Also be sure to scroll back to episode 71, where I interview his gorgeous daughter, Dr. Rukshin Master. I know you're going to love this episode. Thanks for listening. Welcome to the Homeopathy Hangout, where we discuss all things homeopathy from around the world. And now my mum and your host, Eugenie Kruger. Hello, homies, and a very warm welcome to Homeopathy Hangout. Today, we have the massive privilege of welcoming Dr. Farooq Master from India to our show. Welcome, Farooq. Thank you. Thank you. Now, your resume is so unbelievably long, and I know that you've been practicing homeopathy for many decades now, but still, my brain explodes when I try to think of how one person can fit as many professional achievements into one lifetime as you have. We've had your beautiful daughter, Rukshin, on the show as well, and I could tell from speaking to her that you are such a big inspiration to her as you are to the whole homeopathic community worldwide. So I just really want to take the moment to thank you for your incredible work and everything that you've done. Thank you. Thank you so much. Now, there's lots of things that we can chat about today, but something that I am very interested in is your homeopathic health center. Now, I believe you started that in 1984, right? Yes. Wow. So so I passed in my uh, homeopathic education in 79. Mm-hmm. But then immediately after passing, I joined hospital to gain experience and did not start my private practice. And for almost six years, I stayed in the hospital day and night and tried to see the efficacy of homeopathic medicine in different hospital uh, born uh, infections and ho- serious patients. Only after gaining experience in the hospital for six, seven years, I decided to leave the homeopathic hospital and started my own private practice. 
Plus, I joined allopathic hospital and started the department of homeopathy over there because I already had a good uh, background of seven years. Mm-hmm. And then slowly, slowly, the ship started sailing and we went into more and more hospitals and more attachments. And I kept very busy. And since 1985, I started teaching abroad. I have been to your country many times, Australia, New Zealand, to teach with different associations. And so I started expanding and uh, shared my knowledge with uh, different homeopathic communities and even allopathic communities. Uh, In fact, in the last 10 years, I have started presenting a paper on cancer in the World Congress of Cancer, which was very unknown. It was totally uh, ruled by the allopathic doctors. But I started presenting paper on alternative medicine, which is homeopathy and cancer, and it was accepted. So that was very good. And even in this September, I'm going to Toronto, Canada to attend one more World Congress where I shall be presenting my paper on depression in advanced cancer patients, how they are treated with homeopathic drugs. So such kind of research, uh, I keep on doing it because uh, in today's world, nothing can be accepted if you are not on a scientific platform. And so I work together with the allopathic doctors. I take the protocols from research uh, units and try to apply that protocol into homeopathic therapeutics. And that's how I do research. Uh, And uh, even the funding, I put it from my own pocket, you know, so I don't get any funding for my research. So every two, three years, I'm able to bring out one research paper. And uh, slowly, slowly, we would like to at least collect 10, 15 research paper. If God gives me enough uh, life to live, I think so. we can do that. That's really wonderful that you're actually making the effort to work alongside the allopathic model, because like you say, that's the only way that homeopathy really is going to gain acceptance. If we can show, you know, some actual proof, which obviously with homeopathy can be hard sometimes because we we are almost the complete opposite of allopathic medicine and the way that we operate. So do you find that hard putting out research papers and making that uh, accepted in the the mainstream model? Yeah. So in the, in the beginning, it was a very hostile uh, atmosphere and a very stepmotherly treatment because definitely people are a little cautious that who, Hey, who is this guy who is odd man out? Something like that. (laughs) But then gradually, if you are persistent and if you are honest and if you are very sure of what you really want in life, things do happen. The other thing I was very interested is I was reading that you were responsible for introducing homeopathy into the mainstream hospitals in India. Yes, yes, yes. And just what what does that look like? Like, I would love to have a chat about that because I had my appendix out at the end of January. See, the problem is that homeopathy is a very vast science. Mm. And very little has been applied so far. And whatever little has been applied so far in the world is related to skin disease and allergy. Mm. But the scope is huge. Yes. And to, uh, and to expand the scope of homeopathy, uh, since I was working in the hospital, I thought, why not introduce homeopathy and explore other areas than allergy and skin disease. And so about uh, 35 years back, I started department in one hospital for homeopathy and gradually giving small, small uh, remedies for little problems. Like I tell you, my first case was in the hospital was of a man who had a heart attack. 
and he was hospitalized and slowly slowly after 10 15 days after the heart attack his pumping of the heart became very weak and the doctor said oh now nothing much can be done and uh, we have to wait and watch and you know the wife became very insecure and uh, she came to me and said look you just started a new department can homeopathy offer something so that my husband's life can be saved because doctor years have hand, absolutely put hands up and said that we have to wait and watch otherwise we can't assure you any cure so i went met the man talked with him and gave him one medicine known as digitalis and to my wonders the pumping improved after 10 days and his slowly slowly in the next one month the, the pumping in the beginning was only 20 20% and it went up to about 33% in one and a half month and the life of that man was saved so wow. it was such a big thing that homeopathy can help in the field of cardiology so slowly slowly people develop faith the doctors develop the faith and then i got started treating more serious cases and more serious cases and now today we have department of homeopathy in about three major hospitals in bombay uh, where we conduct homeopathic treatment for palliative oncology what is known as cancer and general hopd and it is being run very successfully i'll tell you my first day when i was interviewed by the hospital management before i started my cancer outpatient department so there were about 20 big surgeons and cancer specialists sitting in an interview room and i like a small mouse entered the room and uh, they asked me that what you want to do in our hospital and i said i want to do exactly the same thing that you all do and uh, they said but we also cure cancer with allopathic treatment and we also help patient with allopathic treatment what are you going to do because we already help people and people whom we help never got cancer for next 20 years 30 years of their life so only if you are going to do something more than what we do then we want you in the hospital otherwise we don't want you how <laughs> this was a very tough situation so what i said is that i totally accept that you all cure with chemotherapy radiation and operation cancers and people don't get recurrence some of them not all of them but if at all some people get recurrence and then you again try operation chemotherapy and radiation and then again the cancer appears and then you do it two three times and then you give up and said look nothing much can be done i think i would take care of those patients with homeopathy i would assure them the word cure but i would definitely assure them a life full of respect and dignity so if you can allow me to do this part i am not aiming for a very bigger results you know just allow me to reduce one tablet of morphine which the patient is taking with the help of homeopathic drugs i think so i have done a great job and if i can start with zero i would like to then go to 1 2 3 4 but for first many years i just want to stick to 0 and 1 somehow they like this idea and they said okay we will give you patients to treat who are on a highest dose of morphine sulfate that is about 60 mg per day now 60 mg of morphine means you are almost a zombie because you are almost sleeping you know and if you don't take your tablet on time the pain comes back with vengeance 
And so these were the type of patients I saw initially. And in the very next 18 months after taking this attachment, I presented a paper of a pilot study of patients who are on morphine sulfate, 60 milligrams. I could reduce their dosage by 30% in a 40% people whom we were uh, taking as a data. And from those 40 patients, 30% of the patients, their dosage got reduced by 30%, which was a very great thing, which could not have happened had there been no homeopathy. So that was a very big achievement. And then after another 18 more months, that is 36 months, they gave me another project on bony metastasis where the cancer has entered the bone and the severe bony pain were there. Mm. And patient was on very high dose of morphine. Here, the result went up to 60% wow. in the next 36 months. And so the encouragement kept on coming. And then we took various other projects of uh, reducing painkillers and uh, reducing what should I say, uh, morphine. And uh, slowly, slowly, what I really wanted to achieve, that is giving a life full of dignity to the patient, started coming in. I am not aiming to cure cancer right now because that is miles away for me right now. But I am aiming basically to do a good palliation so that he can die with dignity and he can live with dignity. That is what I am thinking right now. Mm, that's amazing. So you obviously were the homeopath in India that introduced homeopathy into the mainstream hospitals in India. And so how many hospitals in India these days use homeopathy and what does that look like oh, over there? So, so let's say that when I started homeopathy 42 years back, none. But wow. in the last year, the government is uh, realizing the value of uh, homeopathy. And I think so they'll make a law now that every government hospital should have a homeopathic department. But in uh, slowly, slowly, many hospitals are realizing that they should have an uh, alternative uh, medicine uh, department. Like yesterday, I had a chat with my daughter in Singapore. And she said that the Singapore University invited her for a talk to start an alternative medicine teaching in the university or some project of alternative medicine in the university study. So all this small good news keeps on coming from various directions. In Italy also, the government of Italy has started some clinics where they have started alternative medicine in cancer patients. And I think so in Brazil, there is one more center. So I think so it's spreading around the world. And in India, of course, much more, much more. And uh, let's see, the future looks very good in the next 10, 15 years, I think. So most of the hospitals in India will have a good department. Mm. I think yeah. any government worldwide that is interested in being smart about how they spend their healthcare money in their country should really consider homeopathy because it is the most cost-effective medicine on the planet and, you know, so extremely effective. But we just talk about from a cost point of view, you know, the government's going to really save so much money by, by introducing homeopathy alongside the pharmaceutical model as well, which is, I think, wonderful. Now, you've also written 55 books, or actually, I read somewhere else, you've now written over 60 books. Do you even know how many books you've written? <laughs> not really, not really. I can count what I write. You have how, to keep on writing. Yeah. How on earth do you find the time for all of this? That's just what I want to know because you lecture so, all over the world and yeah. you do all this work in the clinic and you write all these books. How do you do it, Farok? 
So I don't do it alone. I have a team of people who help me to write the book. Many times, it are those are my the books are my lectures which I had given in the past, mm-hmm. and then somebody collects all my lectures, the sound clips, the video clips, and translate it into the book form. So like that, you know, I have written a book. Yeah, and uh, sometimes I just uh, I, I remember in the olden days there used to be an iPod, the Apple Pod. Yeah, and I used to carry it in my pocket, you know. So wherever I go and whatever I think, I'll just speak some rubbish in the iPod <laughs> and keep it, and then I keep on recording, 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 and then give the iPod to my secretary, and I said, "Now start typing it," and she will type everything, you know. Then she will give it to me for editing, and then it becomes very easy. So books were really never written with an intention of writing the books, but these were just the stray thoughts that. Or random thoughts that used to come in my mind, and I I still have that iPod, the white color, you know. But yeah, I still have it, and I still use it, and I still like that thing that you keep it in your pocket and start recording because they used to attach a small mic below, and it was such a nice gadget that I invested in, you know, and it was very helpful. So some books were written like that, some were actual translation of my seminar given in more than 30 countries, you know. So I used to just translate all my lectures from different languages. So that's how the books kept on coming, you know. But I have a team behind me who really supports me. Mm-hmm. That's um, amazing that you do that because often, you know, we have really good inspiration when you're, you know, in the shower or driving or wherever. So it's good that you actually just recorded that down so that the rest of the homeopathic world can benefit from that. You know, we've got so much experience. I sometimes wonder, I sometimes wish with these master homeopaths like yourself that we could just download your brain into all of us so we don't have to go through the 40 years of experience before we get as good as you are. We can just download it. <laughs> Um, have you got any favorite books that you've written or any favorite topics? So, yeah, I would say that I have got two interests. One is homeopathy and treating cases in the hospital and hospital-based practice. But my other interest is totally opposite, and that is psychology. Ah. So I have studied Jungian psychology, and I have studied the dreams part in within the psychology, you know. And I have taken, I have written a book on uh, dreams and homeopathy. I have written a book on fairy tales in home and homeopathy. So how fairy tales can help you to understand the person's psychology? So I have worked wow. a lot on fairy tales. Yes, yes, yes. I didn't know about that one. Is that that's in English as well? Yeah, so oh, I'm going to uh, have to look that up. Yes, so you can read that book also. That uh, if somebody is fascinated to one particular fairy tale, then you can understand the mind of that. And the fairy tale is not just like reading a fairy tale and happy ending, but the symbolic meaning of every character within the fairy tale, the archetype within the fairy tale. I try to analyze it from the homeopathic angle. As well as from psychological angle, and make the reading much more uh, interesting. So I have worked on femininity and injured female. So I have worked a lot and made lots of written lots of chapter. The book is not yet published, but how a woman who is being injured over the period of years, ever since you start from Moses onwards, you know, the role model changes of woman. From at the time of Moses, Christianity, Stone Age, Copper Age, Metal Age, New Age, how the woman has changed, and what made her change, and what happened to her psychology, 
and what is the woman of 2022 and what was the woman when we started in the Stone Age. So all those evolution, the metamorphosis. Uh, I have taken many seminars. In fact, next month in Prague in Czechoslovakia, I am going to speak on injured femininity for two full days. So about 16 hours I am going to talk. So wow. that's my interest. Yeah, that's my another interest, a different direction, totally. Amazing. But I love psychology. And do you, <laughs> I think with uh, when you said that psychology is different to homeopathy, I, I feel like they're just so interlinked though, really. Yes, of course. I yeah. try to interlink them. I try. Yeah. I was fascinated by the work of uh, Carl Jung and that's how the thing started. It seems that many of the, Many homeopaths mentioned Carl Jung in their work. And actually, when you talked about dreams and homeopathy, I've got that uh, book of Jane Cacchetti, The Dreams and Symbols in Homeopathy. And she quotes a lot of Jung as well in there. And I keep hearing his name coming up. So, yeah. Absolutely. Um, And when you do these lectures for with the injured uh, or, or the feminines especially, do you mention remedies, specific remedies as well? Or is it of course, more for the do you? And can you talk to us a little bit about that? See, Just a so, sneak peek. <laughs> okay. So I don't, I don't so, want to spoil the lectures for the guys in Prague, okay. but just so, a sneak so peek. let's take about cuttlefish. You know, now there's a small fish in the sea known as cuttlefish. Huh? Now we have a medicine made from cuttlefish in homeopathy, sepia, which we call as sepia. Do you follow? But where does sepia come from? Sea. Now symbolically, sea is a symbol of mother. Huh? It's a very large symbol of mother. Sepia is a mollusk. So it has got a very soft bone and a soft shell like this, you know. Now that resembles the uterus of the female uh, organ. So you have a uterus, you have a mother. Sepia brings out ink. When the sepia is attacked, the fish brings out the ink to camouflage, correct? So here, this whole phenomena of shadow is very important in psychology that we talk about that in uh, sepia. The ink contains so many chemicals and here we correlate sepia with the different uh, hormonal changes that happens in the life of the woman. So we understand that also. So like that, I uh, study the animal. I study the symbolism. I study the archetype and then I correlate that with the human anatomy, human physiology, human psychology, and built up a picture. And like that, I have written many books, taking individual remedies. I have not uh, written a book on Materia Medica so far, because there are 5,000 remedies in Materia Medica. And to write a book on those remedies uh, will be humanly impossible. (laughs) Because only if you have studied one remedy, it takes two, three years for me. So how can I write 5,000 remedies unless I do cut paste, which mm-hmm. I hate. <laughs> so when I'm really with the remedy and I'm living with the remedy for some time, then I'm in position to write something on that remedy. So for a fairy tale, I went all the way to Denmark to, to see Hans Andersen, who wrote so many fairy tales and where he lived and how did he do and He was a lawyer first and why he converted to writing a fairy tale. So I always take a very long journey to understand everything, do a good research and then only write some. That's amazing. 
Um, I mean, like you say, I always feel like I'm just constantly scratching the surface of a remedy. And it feels like the more books I read, the more I learn about different remedies. But uh, yeah, I like your approach. You really need to sit with the remedy for, like you say, a few years to really understand it. And it's not just, oh, that's the cuttlefish, but actually going into where does it come from? What is the chemicals that it produces? You know, all that's that part to really understand a remedy and then be able to recognize it in a client. That's why I say we need to find technology to download your brain into all of the homeopaths. <laughs> So we can just have like a shortcut to that. But sometimes I think being a homeopath, it's just such a, it's a way of life, isn't it? It's like a journey. It's, it's just, you see the whole world around you so differently. It's just, I can't imagine doing any other job in my life. It's just so fulfilling. Yeah. Um, I wonder if we can um, maybe go back to your role in, in cancer for rock, if that's okay, because that's something is in Australia, you know, it's just, that's why I love speaking with the Indian homeopaths because you guys get to actually go and do such amazing work. Whereas here in Australia, it always feels like we're walking on eggshells. We have to be so careful about what we say. You know, we can't say that we can treat anything. We have to use all sorts of, you know, other words to insinuate that we can help people. And of course, we can't touch people with cancer. You know, we can say that we can help their immune system or all that. So to speak to somebody like you that are actually in there, in the trenches, doing the work, seeing the results, able to help. It's just so inspiring. And of course, I really strive for us to get there one day over here as well. But what what role does homeopathy play in cancer treatment? You've already mentioned a little bit about the pain good, management. Good. But yeah, so the most important, that. so I feel that cancer is like any other disease that we see in homeopathy because homeopathy treats the person and not the disease. That's very, very important. Allopathy always treats the diagnosis. So you you have asthma, take a bronchodilator. Hmm. You have infection, take antibiotics. If you have cancer, go for surgery. That's how the allopathy works. Now, that approach is also good. I won't criticize that approach. But the problem is that the disease can come back again. The asthma can come back again if you stop the asthma medicine. The infection can come back again if you stop antibiotics. The cancer will come back again after the surgery. So this is not a very, very correct approach because the body does not learn from the past experience of the treatment that you have taken. Body brings it back. And why body brings it back? Because body does not work in singularity. That if there is a bacteria in your bladder, you attack the bladder and kill the bacteria in the bladder. No, body does not work like that. Body works in unity. Do you follow? Mm -hmm. And so if there is an infection in the bladder, the whole body is sick and not only the bladder. And so if you are going to target the bladder with your medicine, you are escaping all other part of the body. And that is why the infection will keep on coming back. It is like giving you an example of Australia that you have a president, you have a prime minister, you have a government. Now, what the prime minister and the president and the parliament makes a law is followed by the whole country. We follow. So similarly, in human body also, we have got psycho-neuro-endocrine axis. Now, this psycho-neuro-endocrine axis governs the whole body. So that's the parliament of the body. What law the parliament makes, the whole body follows. And that is why 
you cannot say only my bladder is sick all the areas of your body will be sick mm-hmm. and that is why when you take homeopathic start homeopathic treatment or when you want to introduce homeopathy we don't only focus at the bladder i'll give you an example many women comes with recurrent cystitis cystitis means inflammation of the bladder and they take antibiotics and they get better and they take antibiotics and they get better and then she will come and tell me but i get more cystitis just before my menses after my menses my cystitis is much better now i can't take antibiotics every menstrual cycle correct so i am in a fixed position so i have come to you for homeopathy and then she says also after every intercourse i get cystitis very good so before menses after uh, sexual intercourse you get cystitis okay are you married yes i am married my husband is very very angry person he is so angry that he doesn't look people around me and just blows all the anger on me in front of many people and i feel very insulted and humiliated well now if i am a allopathic doctor i am not interested in what a husband does to her or whether cystitis come before menses or whether cystitis come after sexual intercourse i just give a plain antibiotic and finish it off no in homeopathy we would don't do that so we'll understand what is the effect of husband's behavior on our body i will also ask her about a whole menstrual cycle and then i will select a remedy staphylococcus for the same give it to her and then the infection never comes back in her life mm. you understood and the because bonus the bonus of yeah. that is she'll probably stand up to her husband a bit more as well and not let him yes. treat her that way with the remedy <laughs> so this is how we work and uh, i'll tell you a very nice case uh, i had a case of a young lady with lot of rheumatoid arthritis you know she has a painful <clears throat> joints and the stiffness of the finger and stiffness of the joints and she was on steroids and all immunosuppressive drugs you know so the bad effects of the drugs started coming up and it was a totally unbalanced situation if she takes drugs she becomes more sick if she does not take the drug also she becomes sick because of the arthritis so she decides to come for homeopathy so what do we do as a homeopath we start talking we start understanding the man behind the disease so disease everybody knows rheumatoid arthritis you can read on internet you can read in the book but the man behind the disease changes from patient to patient so she was a very nice school teacher to begin with before marriage she marries into a very orthodox family where there are lots of restriction you can't wear this you can't talk like this you can't go out like this you can't eat this you can't eat that you have to behave like this restrictions okay she is very unhappy about that but the husband says this is how it is take it or leave it something like that so no situations in the school also after some time she comes across a very bad principal and because she is very mild and gentle people who are very mild and gentle are usually abused in life and so she also starts getting abused and she is a very brilliant teacher and a very good teacher but somehow the principal feels very insecure about her knowledge and her ability and starts giving work to other teachers and these other teachers are not able to teach so nicely 
students are very unhappy and she feels very bad from inside but she cannot do anything so there are two situations in her life where she is totally helpless in the house and so she is just like then i said what kind of dreams do you see and she says the dreams are very scary i said what kind of scary so she says somebody is pouring a melting metals like copper or iron on my body and i become stiff like a statue now i put the dream and the two situations together when you are statue also you cannot move in the school she cannot move in the house she cannot move everywhere there is and in the body also there is a stiffness and she cannot move see how the mind body and the disease are joined together mm-hmm. so you open the repertory go to the chapter of mind under delusion you will see delusion hindered delusion hindered at work the remedy is china now china is quinine mm-hmm. and you all know that people with rheumatoid arthritis usually are given lot of quinine by the allopathic doctors hydrochloroquinin and so we started the treatment with quinine that is china in a very small potency and we said okay you can reduce some drugs from your rheumatoid arthritis and we will try to give you china as a substitute to those drugs more than the physical amelioration the psychological amelioration came in a very big way and when the psychological amelioration came physical amelioration started and so over a period of next few years she was maintained on the same remedy on different potency different dosages and we could control the whole autoimmune disease very nicely the relapses became less and less and less psychologically feels being him so happy she could now do much better work in the school she was no longer a very girl with a you know timidity and mildness no she could stand mm-hmm. up and talk to her principal that why are you doing this look for the benefit of the student in the house also she said i am an educated woman why i should be dominated why i should be restricted and all those kind of why why came up in china acted nicely but see here how i correlated the dream the mind the psychology the mm. body this is how homeopathy works hi homies just a quick break in the episode to ask for your help producing this show takes a lot of time and money and i would really appreciate your support so i can continue producing new episodes for you to enjoy You can visit www.buymeacoffee.com/hangout to make a donation from as little as $5. Believe me, every little bit helps. I'd also like to invite you all to my Facebook group called Homeopathy Hangout where we can continue the conversation. And for my Australian listeners, check out my amazing range of homeopathic kits, remedies, crystals, supplements and more at www.eugeniekruger.com. All right, let's get back to the episode. Thanks for your time. Mm, absolutely and this is the same with cancer also so many cancer patients who come we we understand their life story you have to literally wear their shoes and walk their journey to understand them where do they come from where do they want to go and what has happened to them if you can understand the three answers to these questions then you will understand why they got cancer majority of cancer patient has a huge trauma either in the early childhood or when they are adolescents or in their young age or at the job place or in their relationships 
God knows where. Can be, there can be multiple traumas. There can be singular traumas. Mm. It depends. And once you understand what was the effect of that trauma on their body, then you select the right remedy from your Materia Medica, similar remedy mm. for what kind of cancer he has. We are not interested what kind of cancer he has. Mm-hmm. And that remedy will definitely cure the patient if it is in a curable state mm-hmm. or palliate the situation if it's in an advanced state. Mm-hmm. So that is how I work. And Farooq, do you ever find that the part of the body where the cancer manifests has to do with their story of, of why that happened in the first place? For example, a woman who has breast cancer might have issues with mothering or nurturing or something like that? or A lot, a lot. Yeah. So, see, every organ in the human body has a particular shape. Do you agree? There mm. is no two organs with the same shape unless there are two, like kidney, like eyes, like ears, correct? Mm-hmm. Otherwise, every organ has the different shape. Have you ever imagined why this is happening? I haven't, no. <laughs> I have now. <laughs> so, Rudolf Steiner, Swiss-Austrian uh, physician, has written very nicely on the organs, the shape of the organs and the emotions. So with what kind of emotions your organ gets affected? So if you see somewhere the kid, the shape of the kidney is like a bean shape, like a bean. And then if you see the lungs also, you see a fissure in the lungs. Do you see? There's a fissure in the lung mm-hmm. and there's a fissure in the kidney also. Both these organs will get definitely affected where there is a high degree of sensitivity. Now, allopathic doctors will say, oh, come on, lung cancer means smoking. Come on. It's not always that. Not all smokers die of cancer. Correct? Yeah. People who are susceptible will die of cancer. And so many times, organs with fissure, like prostate gland, also has got a fissure between the median lobe and the lateral lobe. There is a high degree of uh, sensitivity. Mm-hmm. So recently I treated a case of a prostate cancer, you know. His cancer had gone into the bones, the pelvic bones. And uh, the doctor said that, look, we have treated you with hormones. We have chopped out your testes. We have done all our best. But yet it went into the bone. Now we are sorry. We can't do more. And don't have any parts left to cut out. (laughs) Yeah. So he comes to me. He says, I don't want a metastasis. In my pelvis, I don't want this, I don't want that. I said, let's understand your story. Where and Now see, here I'm going to discuss the sensitivity. So this man was a bus driver. And then he worked very, very hard, earned a lot of money and started a business of logistic transport. So from a very small little savings, he became a rich man, worked very hard. Never paid attention to his own life and had three daughters. He forgot as he grew old about his own emotions and his focus was children and family. The first daughter falls in love with a man whom he disapproves and runs away from the house. So that was a big blow. After that, he develops hypertension in the body. The second daughter also grows when she enters her 20s and finishes her university education. She also decides to marry somebody whom the father disapproves. Now, father was a little conservative person. And so over a period of years, his relationship with his two daughters were not very good. But he could not speak that. 
to anybody and he kept everything inside. She was very protective about his third daughter. The third daughter was very nice to him. Very, very nice to him. And she will obey everything what the father will say. And then she was diagnosed with a uterine fibroid. And he thought she will die. Now, nobody dies with fibroid, Mm. but he thought somehow. Even though he was told that nothing but his attachment to that daughter was so strong that he felt nothing should happen to my daughter. Mm. And then the doctor said that she has many fibroids. And so it is not good that you keep the fibroid. We'll have to remove the fibroids. And if we remove the fibroids, chances of pregnancy is very less. But the father said she has to yet marry and have child and blah, blah, blah. So that stress invited cancer prostate in the father. So when he comes to me, he said three children, two were very bad, hurted me a lot. This I am very attached to and I feel very bad that why God did not give me some illness and I want God to give me all the illnesses so that I will die and she can live. Something like that, you know. Mm -hmm. That kind of sensitivity was there in this particular man. He he started praying to God and this and that. Finally, the medicine that I selected was Aurum Muriaticum. Now, after Aurum Muriaticum, after six months, we did a PET scan and the PET scan says, okay, there is a cancer in the bone, but it is stable. It has not progressed. So that was a big achievement. Mm. Otherwise, in six months, bony metastasis go very fast. Mm. And it's very as well, hey? Yes, another six months. Very mild regression of the metastasis. That's good. Another six months, very less regression of the metastasis. Now, almost 70% of the metastasis has been regressed under aurum muriaticum, different potency. What do you have to say? Just that that is absolutely amazing. You saw? So how the sensitivity of the patient was understood with the sensitivity of aurum met? Like the whole story I can say in one line that a man puts all his eggs in one basket and then the basket falls down and all the eggs are broken. Mm. And how do you feel? Mm. That's exactly what he felt. Mm. Aurum, this is the story. It's very interesting to treat cancer patient and understand their story. The problem lies over here is that many homeopaths don't want to go through this whole cycle of understanding patients. So that's how they are, maybe they are due to laziness or maybe because of lack of knowledge or maybe because of lack of training. They are not able to undergo all this process and understand this. And that is how the results are not very satisfactory with homeopaths because results are directly proportional to the skills of the homeopath. But unfortunately, instead of blaming the homeopath, the homeopathy gets blamed. And that's how homeopathy gets a very bad reputation in general public, in hospitals, amongst doctors, amongst governments. And they say, oh, come on, homeopathy is a quack because they don't, they make a mess out of cancer patients. Yes, I totally agree. A lot of mess is happening even in India with homeopaths treating cancer patients because they are not qualified enough to for the disease. They have not worked with cancer patients. They lack the skill no proper training, and then you start accepting cancer patient, which is giving like a razor in the hand of a monkey. He'll start cutting the throat of people, something that. 
So what we really require in homeopathy and what is the real need right now is training. And we should have a full-time course of training people in a hospital setup with a good knowledge. Because if you refer the literature of uh, homeopathy, there is very little written on cancer, honestly. So if you count 265 years of work of homeopathy of the last 265 years, very little information, how to treat cancer, how to manage cancer, nothing is mentioned. And very old terminologies are used and science has changed a lot. So new terminology, new way of thinking, new concept, all this is lacking in homeopathy. So only if you are working in that field day and night, you'll understand what is real cancer. And then to correlate from the old literature, the present scenario is a very tough job. And that is why I would appeal that only if you are really qualified, if you are really very, very skillful, you should take a risk of helping other cancer patients. Otherwise, you will damage more than doing something good to the patient. It's not very easy. Mm. I, in my practice see only two to three patients in a day of cancer because it's too much. Each patient takes two, three hours to understand. So if you are going to see three patients, imagine how many hours you have to spend at least for the first time till you find the right remedy. You can't see 500 patients of cancer in one day. Impossible. Impossible. So I think so we should have that kind of setup, those facilities. Uh, understand their feelings, analyze those feelings. I think so then you can do a good job. Mm -hmm. And do you think as a homeopath taking, like if you were somebody specializing in cancer cases, that would take a lot like out of you as a practitioner as well, because you're dealing, like it's a, they're usually pretty heavy cases. Yes, yes, I, I totally agree. Sometimes you feel really sad for days together hearing the stories of people, especially if you see young children, you know, young children. And we're seeing that more and more. Bad, you know? Yeah, mm. you feel very bad. So, Farouk, can you maybe tell us what has homeopathy meant for you in your life? So you've had many years, what, over 40 years of homeopathy. I uh, I was born in 1979. So when you said that you finished your training, then I was like, wow, you've had like this massive lifetime of homeopathy and I'm just a little baby homeopath. But what what has homeopathy meant for you personally in your life? Like when you decided to be a homeopath and now fast forward 40 years, what, so basically, how would you sum that up? I feel homeopathy is like a challenge, okay? Mm-hmm. So every day there is a new challenge. Uh, modern medicine... I just finished my medical school last year. One For last one year, I was in the medical school learning advanced pharmacology. Oh, wow. Yeah. So again, going back to medical school at the age of 65 years was a new experience for me. And uh, when I visited the hospital and the medical school, I just thought that still the modern medicine is very, very focused and very, very specific. Where to become a homeopath, you need knowledge of many, many more things. That's very important. So I felt that when I started practicing homeopathy and when I was a homeopathic student in a homeopathic college, I had a very little skill. That's all. And then every day it was a challenge that how do I understand a delusion? How do I understand the dream? 
How do I understand the fear? All this, if I don't understand, it's no good for me. It's like that. Mm. So in Epis Malefica, you have dreams of flying, but the honeybee flies. But what is the meaning of dreams of flying? Is flying in freedom? Is flying in independence? Is flying has to do something with that? So every day there was a challenge to learn something new, what I see. And homeopathy is so vast that still I am nowhere, nowhere in completion. Okay. Every day it's a learning process that why, how, because if you don't understand and just apply mechanically, the results don't come. So if you are going to dream of a lion in the in your clinic and you open the repertory and see dreams lion this is the remedy and you give that remedy it will never work mm. because lion for that patient can be something else it could be just a symbol it could be just an archetype and it could not be the reality and that is why i say the use the word challenge because you have to really understand why somebody is talking about lion and not elephant so for me this is the learning experience and it is thrill, not only from symbolism or dreams or analysis, but even in the element of pain. A cancer patient comes and some cancer patients will say, I have a burning pain. Now I have to understand why the word burning and why not cutting and why not shooting and why there is inflammation and why there is redness. And if there is redness, it can be because of anger. And why when we are angry, the body becomes red. Why we are angry, the body becomes heat. And now the burning. So burning, heat, redness, anger, suppressed anger. You saw it runs in a one particular line. Mm. See how I have generalized everything. Mm-hmm. Nothing comes from the air in human body. Everything has a cause. But you should be patient enough to understand the cause and take some effort. And not like a lazy bum, accept everything what the patient says without analyzing open the repertory or use a software, see which remedy comes and give that remedy. No, that kind of homeopathy may give results, may not give results. It's like buying a ticket of Lotto. How many wins in Lotto? God knows. (laughs) Something like that. So I think so. Effort is very, very important. And if you don't want to put effort, then you should not be a homeopath. Mm, I would agree with that. And Farok, your beautifully stunning daughter, Rukshin, you must be so proud that she's a homeopath as well. What's that like having her on the team? Very nice. Uh, she worked with me for seven years in my own clinic before mm. she migrated to Singapore. And so I tried to give her now, how much she has absorbed from me. I don't know, but I know that she's doing really fine in Singapore and she should carry on the work further, you know. Mm. That's beautiful. I love seeing these children of homeopaths that are now, you know, rising. Yeah. Hilary Dorian's daughter and, you know, Misha Nolan's son, Luke, and um, yeah. Isaac Golden's daughter. And it's just, um, it's wonderful. I'm loving this new generation of homeopaths yeah. coming out and just, you know, expanding, pushing the boundaries a bit, a little bit, writing their own books, doing their own works and just carrying on this. And my seven-year-old daughter is adamant she's going to become a homeopath but she says she wants to be a homeopathic vet she doesn't want to work with people she wants to work with animals and I said to her that's really good so you know I'm trying I always say to her just do what makes you happy I don't want to push her in that direction but I won't lie if she goes this direction as well I'll be really really happy (laughs) 
Yeah. Uh, it's been so wonderful to have you on today, Farouk. Thank you Thank so you. much. I know you've got a crazy busy schedule. So for you to fit in an hour to come and speak with me, is just the most humbling experience. Thank you so much Thank for you. your work. I really Thank appreciate you. it. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye-bye. Namaste. Namaste. <laughs>